All right, all right, all right, everybody. Uh, sorry to be a couple minutes late. My internet was being a little bit fussy. Um, thank God my guests today were good and patient, and they were very, very great people, and I'm really, really looking forward to the conversation. Um, make sure you hit all the links below to follow them, follow me, and look at all the stuff that I got going on. Um, this is going to be the last recorded podcast until next Thursday, and or well, the last live stream podcast. I apologize. So um, without further ado, let's go. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, okay? yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Well, I want to give a big welcome back to uh, Kenny. This is his uh, first return time on the show and then Cynthia's third appearance. And uh, I figured I'd have him back on a little bit post-mortem of the uh, debates and everything. And then obviously the uh, Trump indictments of the Trump Tucker Carlson interview to kind of give their thoughts on it. So I'm really, really excited to uh, share everything with them. Um, Kenny, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, brother. We're, we're back to school. Or how, of course, y'all's audience might know I'm a public school teacher. So started back about four and a half weeks ago. Tennessee starts kind of early here in East Tennessee. So uh, coaching a little bit, riding, still the chairman of the Republican Party here in Cock County. So I keep busy for sure, uh, but I enjoy it all, and I'm glad to be on with y'all. Nice. Yeah, Cynthia, how are you? Same thing. Busy bee, just like Kenny. I am the president chairwoman of San Diego Young Republicans, and then my day job, I work in government, actually. I work as a staffer for elected official, and then right before this, I had another podcast interview, so it never ends, but very blessed to be here, so thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. Well, I always enjoy talking to uh, the Bothians, and uh, I know Kenny always sends over his articles, which are fantastic, and he's been getting a lot of air that way, which is really, really cool to see. I always uh, am stoked for the homies when I ever see their work going uh, noticed and uh, promoted, so I, I know that uh, the man himself has been uh, retweeting his stuff quite a bit, or well, re-truthing, if that's what it is, quite a bit, which is really, really neat. So um, I guess we'll save Trump for last, and uh, I want to talk about the indictments in the Tucker Carlson interview, but uh, I guess first things first. Um, what were you guys' thoughts on the debates? Did you watch uh, the whole debate, or did you just catch clips? Um, Kenny, go ahead first. Uh, yeah, so I watched the uh, live Tucker and Trump interview before I actually watched the debate. So I watched probably about 50 minutes, I think, of the uh, Trump and Tucker Carlson interview. Thought Trump did great. So it was hilarious. was personable. Answers some pretty tough questions, including if he thinks he's going to be killed or not. So that was uh, pretty entertaining. It's some pretty tough questions from the most influential man in media, Tar Carlson. And if Trump was going to do anything, um, if he was going to do the debate, uh, I'm glad he did that with Tar Carlson. So really enjoyed that. Was really entertained by it. And I did watch the rest of the GOP debates. Thoughts of Vivek, as I've learned to pronounce his name this week instead of Vivek. Uh, Ramaswamy did a fantastic job, I thought, on the debate stage, um, really channeled that 2015 Trump era GOP populist sort of message, I think, uh, tapped into some libertarian circles, tapped into some nationalist populist circles, it seemed like, and really dominated. Um, you know, I think that people like Nikki Haley did a decent job. I think that uh, Ron DeSantis, even though he didn't really stand out that much, I think he did 
uh, pretty well, not being attacked, not being, uh, you know, thrown under the bus any by the rest of the stage. Thought he did okay. But uh, Ramaswamy was definitely the biggest takeaway, at least from me, from the debates. Uh, mm. Tried to channel that yeah, outsider personality from the GOP debates in the same way that Trump did back in 2015. I think everybody knows that's kind of the campaign that Ramaswamy has been running is mm -hmm. while Trump is not here, while he is not in the spotlight in, on the debate stage or in the media, I'm going to be and I'm going to go all tough channels and get asked the tough questions about populism and nationalism. So it was really been pleasant with Vivek and uh, looking forward to seeing how he campaigns going forward, including Trump considering him for a VP choice reportedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of seems to be the uh, strategy. And I saw somebody say that uh, he was kind of there in place of Trump because you noticed he kind of carried, he pretty much did fill in his shoes for that debate being, you know, the loud bombastic one who took a lot of the punches. So um, I don't want to give too many of my thoughts until I uh, let Cynthia have her chance to uh, kind of speak on some of that as well. So uh, Cynthia, what were your thoughts? Similar thoughts to Kenny, but different experience. So to summarize it, I think Vivek won the debate, but I think Trump won the night. And <laughs> and different experience. I watched the presidential debate with the other candidates first on Fox. And then um, later on, I, when I caught up with things, I watched the I guess the you know the interview with Tucker Carlson and former President Donald Trump. So I had a fun experience watching the debate in particular because for San Diego Young Republicans, we threw a presidential debate watch party mm. and it was my first time doing so in a group setting. I know that may be a little bit like odd to like say out loud, but like I was that type of person, like I would just, you know, watch it by myself and just kind of like, you know, be yelling at the screen by myself, like, oh, no, you didn't. And like, whatever. So it was fun to be able to experience it with the group because, you know, we have our commentary, we give our jokes out loud, we react live. So and you kind of experience it all together. So it was just a lot of fun. We're already looking forward as an organization doing another debate watch party for the next presidential debate mm -hmm. in September 27. So I had fun. Um, my my analysis to it, um, I do think Vivek won the night, um, you know, regardless of whether you choose to vote for him or not, the goal is to get people to talk about you. And he accomplished that. Um, I think that Ron DeSantis, um, similar to Kenny, although he didn't necessarily, you know, get attacked more say, I think he mm -hmm. held his own. But in my opinion, I've always used to believe that a few months ago, which shows that politics really is interesting because anything can happen. I mm -hmm. thought for a long time this was going to be the primary between Trump and DeSantis. Right. To be honest, I think the debate really proved to me that Trump is the clear front runner, according to polls and whatnot. And I don't think DeSantis really has a chance. And I think Vivek could actually beat DeSantis in regards to votes, just based off of everything that has transpired over the months. I actually think surprisingly, Chris Christie did well in the sense of like, he established himself as someone who, for those voters on the Republican Party that don't like Donald Trump and, you know, other people and like the more populist, conservative side of the Republican Party, I think Chris Christie held his own. I mean, he gave like the funniest clap back out there like you sound like chad gbt I, like i had like members like live tweeting that right after so it was super funny and regardless of what you think about him i think he stood out um more so than other people so that's my thoughts on that i think uh trump did very well with his conversation with tucker carlson so 
Again, Vivek won the debate, in my opinion, but Donald Trump won the night because, again, if the goal is to get people to talk about you, well, Trump accomplished that. Yeah. Um, some uh, thoughts on Trump not being in the debate was um, that's kind of where he's his strongest. And I've seen people say that, like, hey, this is kind of like he's leaving everyone else to fight among themselves. But I feel like everybody remembers Trump from the debates. So really, um, I don't understand why he wouldn't have gone in to the debates because, I mean, it was very, very lively. And, um, you know, to see him go back and forth with people, once again, that's where he's his strongest. Um, I, I did enjoy the Trump-Tucker Carlson interview, but really, I feel like he's a little bit less energetic than he was four years ago. I mean, the dude's old, don't get me wrong, but, like, it didn't seem like the Trump that you had out there in 2016 with the nicknames and the punching back. It was pretty calm, pretty laid back. And it could have been just the environment that maybe Tucker Carlson can kind of develop for people because he is a pretty good host. And I think he's more into kind of just having like a casual conversation with most people. But like, like I said, it just seemed like something was missing there. But uh, when it came to the debates, I thought Vivek did a really, really good job of, you know, putting himself out there because if you would have asked me, back when you know everyone kind of had announced but no debates had really gone on and not a lot of media kind of came to the, all the uh, other candidates aside from trump um i thought DeSantis would have been walking all over everybody but it, it's it really surprised me that he's really fumbled his campaign in the beginning um i thought he would he would have came out a lot stronger and been a lot more popular to be completely honest because he comes without a lot of the baggage that trump has but um you know he's pretty much mishandled this campaign the whole way, which is a big surprise to me. And then Vivek, I didn't think Vivek was going to be um, rising in the polls at all. I thought he kind of would have just been a very, very loud, unique voice, but just kind of running a, I've always said these run like a 21st century campaign where he's gone on a lot of alternative media. He kind of understands us, like us three here. He understands the audience and the people that we listen to. And I think he's really used that to his advantage. And then he was able to kind of tap into a little bit more of, you know, people who are looking for a little bit more energy. And I thought um, that people said that like Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence all did like horrible. Um, I would probably agree with like Mike Pence, but I think Tim Scott at least feels relatable and seems like he understands the temperature in the room. Um, Nikki Haley had a few good comebacks in regards to like, um, when she brought up the debt, um, now, I don't think she sincerely cares about that, but I mean, at least it matters. And she, you know, at least hit on that point and seemed concerned, you know, seemed so, um, yeah, I guess, um, any other, uh, thoughts on kind of like some of the other stuff that went on throughout the night, Kenny? Oh, you're muted. Or is that me? He's muted. Oh, Kenny, you're muted. Ooh. Good now. Uh, good now. <laughs> yep, yeah, you're good. good. I'm yeah. sorry about that. I don't know what happened. No, you're good. Okay. You're good. Um, but with uh, with Vivek um, or Vivek, as we were talking about earlier, I think he's running the populist nationalist campaign that Ron, people thought that Ron DeSantis would run. Sure, you know, trying to taking on these culture wars, being a good debater, being a good public speaker. But you know, DeSantis' debates performance really wasn't that surprising if you watched his debates against Charlie Crist and against Andrew Gill. Like he, the, the dude is a very good public speaker. He's very right. good at combating media. But when it comes mm -hmm. to like debating other Republican ideas or even debating ideas in general, I don't really think he is that talented to be quite honest with you i mean he's decent yeah. like he is he's not bad at relaying his message but and i think that's why he did decent at the debate because he didn't really 
have to debate points that much. He didn't really have to yeah. debate about his philosophy of the Republican Party. He just kind of had to get up there and give the same old, uh, we, we've done well in Florida, and this is why I should be president. Speech. Hold them accountable, too. <laughs> right. So like, like, like he's giving the same speech. And I think that's kind of why his campaign hasn't resonated. It's what it's, you know, people always talk all the time, what have you done for me lately? Right. And he talks about what you he's done in Florida the last couple of years. But what are you going to do in the future, dude? Like when these people, when you're not combating the Florida government or the mainstream media that hates your guts anyway, you're going to fight up against every evil in the country at one time when you're a Republican president in the United States. What are you going to do? Like, and he has never really answered that question. I mean, he's stolen ideas. He's said, I've flipped, he's flip-flopped on the Ukrainian issue. He's flip-flopped on the FBI, CIA right. from his voting record in Congress. I mean, I think that's why Vivek has captured so much of the populist nationalist GOP is because he's they don't buy these things. establishment politicians anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I was telling somebody the other day, like pe people want a presidential candidate, right? Like, like somebody who acts presidential. That's not what the Republican Party wants anymore. They want a real middle class, understandable and relatable figure in the GOP. Like they don't want the Nikki Haley's, Mike Pence's or even Ron DeSantis, who's arguably the biggest populist figure that's been since Donald Trump. They don't even want him anymore. They would rather have somebody like Vivek Ramaswamy who didn't even who didn't even vote me before 2020 at all in any primary whatsoever, they would rather have him than Ron DeSantis because his campaign's not run by a bunch of neoconservative shills like it seems like yeah. Ron DeSantis' campaign is ran by. And yeah. I, I think that's what really sticks out to me is this alternative campaign that Ramaswamy is running is the exact campaign people wanted DeSantis to run, but the wrong people are controlling his campaign. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I really, really like that perspective. So I guess let's continue on with Ron DeSantis. Um yeah, I like I said, I really thought his campaign would have took off a lot more because um, I remember watching his debate with Charlie Chris down in Florida. And um, when he punched back at him, I'm like, oh, if he can throw jabs like this and if he has a good team behind him and he's pretty smart with this kind of stuff, I thought he would have did a lot better. But it really seems like, you know, that just didn't come through for him. Uh, Cynthia, I'm guessing you probably have uh, some related thoughts as well on uh, the DeSantis campaign, how his uh, performance in the debate is how his performance in the debate went. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I expected a lot more um, similar to in regards to Kenny's analysis on how his campaign is run, I'm personally a little bit disappointed because like I said, I was like ready for like a blood battle between Trump and DeSantis. And right. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed. Um, but in regards to like how DeSantis handled the, like, for example, we're going to talk about Kobe. I like me personally, I'm tired of talking about it. Like I get it. And right. to DeSantis's credit, He's a good governor. He's up. He's arguably one of the better governors in the country, easily one of like the Republican leaders in regards to how the Lee state. No one can take that away from him. I'm not a DeSantis hater per se, but he keeps harping on this. And it's like, I'm ready to like, how about we just not talk about this? And I, I personally feel like that's the general sentiment of the entire country. I get it. You did great during this season of our, of our country, but it's time to move on. And I think it's a little bit hypocritical. He talks about like the future and it's like, you keep harping on like things that you did well in and mind you. And I think people forget this piece of context. DeSantis has a veto proof majority on for Republicans. He does not need the Democrats to accomplish anything at all. The legislature is blood red. It's, it's mm -hmm. majority Republican. 
he arguably has a huge advantage over someone like me who's based in San Diego, California, where we have the exact opposite problem where, yeah, my legislature, my state legislator is a veto-proof majority for Democrats. And so I would like to hear from, you know, a presidential candidate in regards to how are you relating to people where the majority of the country is particularly like middle and then there's like some right-leaning, um, you know, topics that people care about. Um, in particular with like some maybe like cultural sides things and like kitchen table issues. So I, you know, like I said, I don't think, I don't think DeSantis did badly at the debate. I think he held himself well. And I do think, you know, it helped him, but I also don't could see him having a commanding lead after this debate, if this, if that makes sense, or even just in general, like I think his campaign's dead on arrival. Yeah. It, it, that's really surprised me, but, um, you know, it's also kind of nice to see that um, for a lot of Republicans and specifically Tucker did this when he had that interview session with all the different candidates and, you know, props to him. Um, I've really come to like Tucker once he's left Fox. I, I think he's really found his footing in alternative media. And he's probably one of the only news anchors to really do that, like successfully and well, like very, very well. Um, DeSantis just kind of survived a lot of these big things. Like you would think that he would be able to communicate his vision to you know kind of make america florida because that was kind of the thing a couple of years ago is that everybody had make america florida shirts like there's so much stuff that he could campaign on and he's just it's just like waffling it's like you said dead on arrival um and it's good to see tucker carlson kind of being the barometer for the gop is and almost being like a kingmaker and saying like hey if you're not good on the ukraine issue then you're probably not going to win this primary you're like you're not going to do good on this um now, I really don't think Trump has a solid solution for it, but he is at least smart enough to say the right thing. And I really, really appreciate that. And that really, really plays well to the base. And the fact that DeSantis won't say the right thing on probably what's arguable, you know, what's arguably one of the most important issues for the country, um, I think is really leading him down a bad path. I think it's because, like you guys have said, he's had some of the worst people in the country running his campaign. If he would just kind of kick them to the curb and say, like, hey, we're not going to send another penny to Ukraine, like Vivek has been willing to say, um, then I think he would his campaign would do a lot better. But since he's not willing to take a stand on a very, very important issue, then all right, man, <laughs> you're going to pay the consequences. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the biggest issues that I had, at least with a lot of the candidates, was those two questions, right? Like when they asked, would you support Trump if he was indicted and he is the, he's the nominee? You saw the vet go, uh, his hand raised, and then everybody else looks around at each other and says, okay, I'll raise my hand now too. And the same way on the Ukrainian issue, DeSantis was the only candidate that I'll give DeSantis credit. At least he looked around, but Vivek had his, his Vivek had his hand up first. He looked at Vivek and then did it like that. Those two points right there show me exactly why DeSantis will not be the GOP nominee. Like this guy who is a, I think a biotech entrepreneur, a millionaire, billionaire, whatever he is, has come from no debate experience or I'm sorry, no political experience. He actually was a debater in college, I believe, but no political experience whatsoever in running for elected office. And he is taking more strong stances on on Ukraine, on a foreign policy initiative that has encapsulated the rejection of our, uh, the, the rejection of establishment politics, rejection of neoconservative 
foreign policy more than about any moment. Really, this is the turning point of the GOP. Like right. the Afghanistan, the Afghanistan withdrawal, the Iraqi war, that those were kind of like in the eras of the GOP being dominantly neoconservative. But we are finally at a point in the GOP where we are finally saying enough foreign aid, enough, enough trying to prop up and nation build another country. We are finally saying, okay, where is our money going? We need people who are going to stand up and audit where our taxpayer money is going. So mm-hmm. who is going to take that stand? And we only saw one of eight candidates, I guess one and a half, if you count Ron DeSantis, actually take a strong stand on Ukrainian aid. And that, along with asking if he, he would support Donald Trump and him having to look around and raise his hand like he's trying to guess the right question out of an A, B, C, and D answer on a book report instead of yeah. taking a strong stance like a presidential candidate should – told me everything that I needed to know about Ron DeSantis and his campaign. And I don't believe the Ron DeSantis of 2021 and 2020 is answering that in the same way. It just seems like the people who are in his ear, people like Jeff Rowe and others who are in his ear trying to tell him what the donors want to hear instead of what the American people want to hear and Republican voters want to hear. That's what has absolutely destroyed his campaign. And unfortunately enough, as I've met Governor DeSantis, I met him at a fundraiser last year in Knoxville, but, and I think he's a good man, but I think he has been so beholden to corporate interests and so beholden to the military industrial complex and their donors that he has absolutely ruined his political career in the future. He's become Jeb Bush of the Republican party and of 2024. Yeah, that's really sad because I think, um, especially when you have Thomas Massey endorse you, which Thomas Massey did endorse him. I mean, that was to me something that stood out because Thomas Massey is probably the best congressman alive today. Um, you know, you know, maybe one of the best in history, other than Ron Paul. But um, you know, if Tommy, Ma- if Thomas Massey endorsed him, then that had to mean something. But you know, it's just amazing that he's really just fumbled the ball every step of the way. Uh, Cynthia, any other thoughts? Um, yeah, basically, um, you know, in regards to the Ukraine issue, so just me personally, I, you know, not to go off of a tangent, but if we're going to talk about this issue, we have to talk about the wildfires going on in Maui. Um, Joe Biden's response, like the fact, like the fact that we are sending billions, I feel like every time I log on to Twitter, I am like, I feel like I'm just besides myself because every single time I log in, I feel like we're just sending like another billion or billions like every other week. And I'm just kind of like, where's this money going? And then you mean to tell me that you show up to Maui, there are at least 130 people that are dead, more hundreds more that are potentially that are missing and they get a one time $600 stipend payment. You you're kidding me. And so the Ukraine issue, it just, it, I mean, I have always had issues about this, you know, for a long time, but in particular when, you know, a lot of um, different news came about, it just, be, it just, um, you know, really took me to a whole other level. Um, like regardless of people's opinions on the war, I think a lot of people can agree that financially speaking, and I do give credit to Nikki Haley for, for, for calling out the Republican party because it is our fault for, mm-hmm. for doing this. We're, we, we are not good. We claim we're fiscally conservative, but we are not good stewards of our, of our budget. Um, how in the world are we being able to send more and we can't even take our own? Like, and, and so I'm, I am more 
astounded that there's all these presidential candidates that are still stumbling and wondering and still trying to figure out like, oh yeah, we should be sending more money internationally. Like regardless of how you felt about in the beginning, I just kind of have maintained that it's time to move on. Like, why are we sending more money at this point? Like, I feel like we've been talking about this for, for, for what feels like decades for me. So, um, yeah, sorry to go off on like a tangent, but no, we're going to no, talk no. about that issue. Um, so just seeing kind of that just and seeing, you know, how all the candidates reacted to that, it just kind of showed me everything that I needed to know. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's like why the GOP is falling out of touch with its voters. Like the very fact that we have eight, seven candidates, like I mean, six and a half again, I guess, if you want to count Ron DeSantis' kind of half-hearted answer whenever he was asked, but – the fact that 65% of Republicans and about 55% of independents and the modern voter think, well, we should probably look where this money is at least going, right? Like the fact that that's happening and that there's no question for at least six of these cats where well, we're going to send more. Like the question wasn't, have we sent enough? Have we done enough? Does it need to stop now? It was an, an, a question of more. Like, one, if you think that if we we should have done it at first, I disagree with that. I don't think we should give, should have given them a damn penny. But Agreed. if you're talking about more, like you were, you're going to keep on doing it. Like it's 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 legitimately insane. And this is how out of touch that the current GOP, the RNC, state parties, and the military industrial complex ran corporate base of the GOP is out of touch with its modern voter. If they're really wondering why some thirty eight year old biotech entrepreneur is running the Republican Party right now in terms of ideological positions if you want to take Donald Trump out of it. That's why. Like The fact that we are out of touch with our base. This is the reason that nationalism and populism is becoming such a such popular words within the GOP. And Kyle, I know you, that you have libertarians on all the time mm -hmm. that hate those two terms, but the reason that those two terms are so existent within the GOP. I would not be one of those, by the way. <laughs> sure, I know you wouldn't. I know you would. It's it's more like the neoliberal uh, libertarians. The progressive. And, and, and the progressive yeah, the libertarians in your party. Yeah. But my, my whole issue with, with, with that, with the, those two terms being demonized is there are people who are demonizing them are the people that are for more Ukrainian aid right. when Maui is burning to the bound and children and animals are being killed in fires and we're not even allowed to send, you know, and even an equal amount of funds over to the, uh, to our American people that for them to take care of their families, to build up their homes and even get paid something per month. We're seeing them less than the COVID checks were, but yet we're going to spend billions more dollars to Ukraine to waste needlessly. And if you ask one congressman or the house speaker right now, where those funds are going, they can't answer you. And that should tell the American, the GOP all it needs to know about mm -hmm. where the Republican, modern Republican voter feels about Ukraine aid and getting more over. Exactly. And, yeah. And okay, one so. thing I'll also, I'm sorry, and just one little yeah, tidbit cool. to add. Um, I think it's even more interesting to analyze that it's a young Republican that is leading the charge in regards to this discussion. Mm -hmm. um, when I say young Republican between the ages of 18 and 40, because that's how we define the young Republican. So that's just, you know, one interesting uh, fact about that. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of people are sick of the Mitch McConnell. I'm, I'm sure you, both you guys saw the videos of him freezing, and there are multiple now. Um, it's it's disgusting uh, here, Adam said. Audit the Ukraine, absolutely. Um, 
it, it is pretty sickening to think that like we've sent all this money over there and we have no idea what's going on. Um, and I mean, I'm not for any Ukrainian aid at all because this really this has been America's project for you know 30 years in the making almost. And now that it's blown up in the U.S.'s face, um, now it's you know basically a, a cash cow for the military industrial complex. All they're doing is just sending money there hand over fist, and you know a lot of it just returns to the pockets of arms manufacturers rather than you know what it's actually intended to do. I mean, I think there was some like 30% of the weapons were making onto the black market, so we have no idea where that stuff's going. Um, and really, this is just essentially the neocon neoliberal wet dream to you know basically weaken Russia at the expense of Ukrainian blood. I mean, they're sending humanitarian aid and then all these weapons over there. And all this is doing is just prolonging the war rather than stopping all aid and telling the Ukrainians, like, look, you have to negotiate. And there was a negotiation in process back in you know February 2022 when the war broke out. But, you know, the Biden administration wanted to, you know, do the neoliberal line of weakening Russia by, you know, via Ukrainian blood, which is absolutely shameful. So, you know, it's very, very good to see Tucker Carlson saying like, hey, you have to be good on this issue if you're going to, you know, win over this base. And I think a lot of young people feel this, you know, not only when it came to like 2020, when you had all the spending going on um, and you had a candidate at the time saying, hey, let's keep America great. Well, for people like us, when we're buried in student debt, metaphorically speaking, for our entire age group, essentially, um, I can't afford a house and this economy is crushing me. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, locked in my home, but I'm being told to keep America great. Um, that doesn't resonate with people. And same deal with this, like, you know, hey, I'm not going to take a strong position on sending billions of dollars offshores. Um, that doesn't resonate with people when people are like, hey, interest rates are going up. So it's a little bit harder for me to afford stuff. Inflation is crushing me. Um, and you're not willing to take a, a stand on an issue that's essentially robbing my, you know, future spending power. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pissed. <laughs> if you're not going to say, hey, not another penny, then I don't want anything to do with you. I think that's a good position for the GOP to be in, especially for Tucker Carlson to kind of make that the threshold to, you know, be acceptable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think somebody like, like I said, R Ramaswamy, who is just willing to take a firm position, and even if he's not ever held a firm position in his life, and and from the clips that I've seen of him on MSNBC and others, I don't know of how many he's actually had, but I at least remind Ramaswamy for being able to be a maverick in that regard. You know, I, I think that there is such a disconnect between the modern American voter the GOP and the DNC, like you're even seeing like with Biden, like being challenged by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Like you're still seeing at least a portion of every one of, of, of both major parties saying this isn't OK. Like you're seeing pe people on the right. Like I remember just very, 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 very minimal years ago whenever Trump was in office and he, we were trying to get those Supreme Court nominees to go through the Senate and get those confirmed. Like Mitch McCall was a hero to a lot of Republicans because he, and he helped Donald Trump get those three Supreme court justices confirmed. Right. But now for once you're seeing the GOP and its voters go, we've had enough. Like this dude needs to re resign. He needs to retire. He needs to go home. And whether that's because of Trump's animosity, whether that's because of Trump's right, this little rivalry that him and Mitch have going on, the fact that we're willing to put our own party's leader, out on a plank and say, dude, it is time for you to hang it up. Like that, that takes a lot to, at least to me, for the Republican party to look at one of its most influential individuals there is in the country and say, it's over, dude. 
like you've had two strokes on camera, it looks like. Like I'm I'm not a medical professional, strokes, seizure, whatever they might be. It's not normal, whatever it is, episodes, whatever you want to call it. Um, the fact that the Republicans are saying, okay, even we've had enough at this point. Like the, he him saying the Ukrainian war is the nut, not number two, not number three, not number four, not number five. It is the number one issue in the country is, is supporting Ukraine against Russia. That is out of touch. And when everybody is listening to Donald Trump, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. go on these television shows and tell you your party and your leaders are ran by corporate donors and they're ran by the military industrial complex. And then the next day you hear Mitch McConnell, Nikki Haley or, some, or Mike Pence or somebody else call Ukraine the most important issue there is in the world right now. Mm-hmm. That tells you all you need to know. We can connect the knocks. We're not stupid. The modern Republican voter watches the news. The modern Republican voter reads social media and they listen to punditry. So in that itself, we know better than the Republican voters knew back in the 2000s, back in the mid-2010s the mid or in the 1990s. We, right now, the current voter base of the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, and independents are the most informed voters of all time because of our access to information. So when we can look up these corporations like Raytheon, we can look up these corporations like Lockheed Martin, who BlackRock, who literally run our politicians. They might as well put stickers on the sides of their suits like NASCARs do for who sponsors them and tells them what to do, right? Like we can look it up and see who donates by the FEC. We are informed. And just like me and Cynthia, who are both of that young Republican age, we know how to get on the internet. We know how to look up who people, who funds our politicians and we can know how they're going to vote based upon who donates to them. That is ambivalent and that is reflective upon how out of touch the uniparty is not because it's in the gop and the dnc both dnc's long gone they like they've been the anti-war party for 40 years and with one war and being bad russia bad they automatically went right back to that neoconservative neoliberal foreign policy view so i don't even i don't care less about what their principles are because they don't they don't even care about their own but when you look at the gop we have to hold our own accountable. And that's probably what people think of me more as. Like, if you, were, if you see my articles, there's nothing that I hardly write about more than criticizing my own party. I criticize my party. I criticize our candidates and our future. I don't say the left is bad. Ooga booga. My voters know Democrats are bad, and my voters know left. You don't got to tell anybody that. And I that's why, yeah, that's not, why I don't punch left. I'm not going to be preaching yeah. to my same, I'm not preaching the same sermon to my to my pulpit every day. I'm going to give a different sermon because people need to know that the enemy is inside our own party and the enemy is inside our own movement. Mm. If we don't do something about it, we'll revert right back to the party we were before Donald Trump. Absolutely. Cynthia? Yeah, I think multiple things can be true at once. I think you can respect the people that have come before you like your elders. And at the same time, you could wish for something completely different for the future. So, you know, I think Mitch McConnell... Like there were some moments where I was like, good job, Mitch. I'm glad that, you know, you, you like, you know, had the courage to do this and that. And then there's moments, especially, you know, after what recently happened at this press conference, we need like younger people in office. We need people that are more in touch with what's going on with the Republican Party, what's in tune with what the average American cares about, which is being able to, especially as a young individual, buying the first home, which in California seems like a pipe dream. And, you know, I'm sure that this is a very similar sentiment to anyone that's across the country. If you're if you're younger like us, Um, 
you know, I think another thing too that, um, you know, kind of distinguishes like the Ukraine conversation, I feel like the older generation in particular, I think about like the Bush generation, like I think that one big thing that soiled the Republican Party forever was everything post 9-11, especially in regards to what happened with the wars. I think that forever damaged the image of the Republican Party. And I think it's interesting how the younger generation saw like the sins of the past of what their elders have done Mm -hmm. and, you know, being able to walk away wanting something different. So I've noticed that the younger voters on both sides of the aisle, they don't like wars. They they want less intervention. They want things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like, you know, some interesting trends on why you see even you know, on both the left and the right, there's commonalities on different things. I think another big thing that I think, in my opinion, that the presidential candidates did very poorly on, um, and I think Trump did very well in, is this idea of handling the environment. I, for one, I, you know, one could discuss, one could discuss the nuances about whether climate change is real or not, but I think the right, they fail with providing solutions instead of just saying that the Democrats are, are, you know, they always say the Democrats are bad, but they never provide solutions. Republicans right. are very good at being the party of no. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so in regards to discussing like that topic on the environment, I, for one, as a conservative, I think we should, as conservatives, want to conserve God's creations on Earth. Instead of just saying climate change is bad or this is this and that, why don't we talk about ways on what we can, how we can best steward the resources for our government to protect our 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 forests why don't we talk about how to best preserve like our water and making sure it's clean for people so you know very similar sentiments in regards to i wish you know that that's why you know i eat breathe and leave and drink this stuff because i care very deeply about the republican party and conservatives and trying to inspire people and change hearts and minds but i can tell you it makes it very difficult when the republican party does stupid stuff like this and, you know, in regards to uh, Kenny's sentiment about calling out the bad apples, I mean, I agree with it. I think first and foremost, you know, if the goal is to bring more people over and to get more conservatives, bring more Republicans, well, I don't think we do ourselves a good service to the Republican Party if there's not good people. I mean, first and foremost, can you at least, like, be consistent with what you believe in? Can you at least practice what you preach? Can you at least be a decent person? Can you at least treat people right? Like, even if I don't agree with you, could I at least walk away respecting you? And I think the wish washing doesn't help. And I think I've, I've noticed that amongst like a slew of presidential candidates in this race. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I completely agree about the environmental stuff. Um, you don't have to go full, you know, woke crazy. The, you know, you're going to be dead. And what an AOC, she said, uh, we're yeah. dead 12 years back in like 2018. You don't have to die on that hill. Like, I think the best way to kind of go forward is offer a more positive vision. So say like, hey, we want to make, you know, have as free a market as possible um, with the government that we have right now. And by doing that, that's going to allow the people who are knowledgeable about the environment to do their best job there. That's not to say you're just going to allow companies to dump into the oceans or, you know, gut force unnecessarily. No, you're going to have conservationists and people who are knowledgeable about this subject, you know, give their honest assessments about what the best path forward 
for the environment is like that <laughs> that's a pretty simple platitude really that you could offer the younger gop base who's probably concerned about some of this stuff because you know i'm sure they grew up hearing a lot of like the climate change talking points and there's reason to have concern for some of this stuff but like you know you don't want that to be your whole personality or your whole campaign um i was kind of surprised and maybe this is a good pivot over to uh, vivek but like when he said that the climate change agenda which the big caveat there is a hoax. Um, I was surprised that he got a lot of booze because I thought that would have really, really resonated saying the climate change agenda. Maybe people like just left off the agenda part and thought he was saying climate change is a hoax. But um, I think he was spot on there. And I was surprised that that didn't really land well. I thought that would have you know been received very, very well because he's he's probably the only candidate that really speaks about like the ESG kind of stuff in a competent way. Like Santos will occasionally pay lip service to it, but like Vivek has a solid understanding of this stuff. So I guess I uh, kind of continue thoughts on Vivek's performance throughout the night because I thought he did very, very well as well. For, so, so one one thing that I, I noticed about that, um, and it's kind of the same thing with DeSantis and Haley. If you if you noticed the cheers that they were getting, I don't know if you all remember back in two thousand and fifteen and two thousand and sixteen when the debates were going on, there were paid members of the audience. Like these campaigns pay audience members to cheer very loudly, and they have cue cards. When this thing gets said or this topic gets brought up, whatever this can answer to this and cheer as loud as you can. And I think that's more like what happened to Vivek. Like you notice that Haley attacked him on a couple of things. They attacked him on his record, on his past, his inexperience, his foreign policy stuff. Like they attacked him on specific things. And so did Pence. Like he was the target of the night, right? So I think that's probably just one of his things that they initially booed was whenever, probably whenever they were heard the word hoax, more than likely they want to boo because hoax is this right wing sort of Alex Jonesy sort of term that I think that Haley Pence and these other candidates kind of want to paint Trump and Vivek out to be is these conspiracy theorists catering to right wing populism, whatever. And they want to go back to the establishment Republican way. You know, one of the, I really liked your point, Cynthia and, and, and Kyle, when you were talking about environmentalism in the GOP, like we don't have to like be California or New York and want to just abandon, you know, gas power cars for us to be environmentalists. Like we can be mm -hmm. private environmentalists. We can sponsor, you know, litter pickup. We can ensure that the funds that we're giving, the taxpayer funds that we are giving to the federal government every day are going to things like the EPA and, and regulations that are going to protect our national mm -hmm. parks. Like, the, you know, does the EPA do too much in terms of regulations sometimes? Of course they do. But knowing what common sense regulation is to protect the national parks, Parks to protect our environment is not some sort of climate, like, like Vivek calls it, a climate change hoax. It's just being practical, like us being responsible citizens and making sure that the private citizen is the one that is deciding that we're going to keep our parks beautiful, that we're going to keep our communities beautiful. I mean, I, I live, guys, I live five minutes from the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, what is the most visited national park in the entire country. And I, there, if there's anybody who's against litter and want to keep the country beautiful, I mean, I would not have a litter if there wasn't tourism that comes through this part of the country every single day. So mm -hmm. there's nobody more pro-environmentalist to me, but I think that in, in, while I think Cynthia brings up a really good point, like the GOP needs to be more practical about this kind of stuff. Like when they bring up environmentalism, environmentalism does not mean green terrorism, right? right. Like it doesn't mean like this idea that we're going to use all taxpayer funding to, you know, ensure that gas powered cars and car forts are eliminated from the, the, the stratosphere. Like that's mm -hmm. not what it means. We need to have a conservative solution to be practical about the environment. 
ensure that we we're protect. No, there's nobody. There's no sane Republican that enjoys the smokestacks and the skyscrapers more than they enjoy the mountains and the beauties of East Tennessee and California and other parts of this great country. Like no, no sane person is saying that. So why not use the funds and use the policies that we've advocated for for so long with small government for states to take care of, of their own, to have enough funds to be able to take care of our national parks, our lakes, our rivers, our creeks, and make sure that, they, that there are wildlife resource agencies in each state are funded to the max capacity that they can be. So they, because because they know their state's needs better than the federal government does in the first place, like eliminate those regulations, give them more funding to be able to do their jobs and let's roll. Like let's take care of our country and let's take care of our environment. And that's not a controversial take. Like I, I think, I think Vivek really hit it on the head when climate change itself has been existent all of humanity, right? Like humans change the climate. Like that is the way science works. But the entire idea that there is a climate change hoax that we're going to die in five years if we don't eliminate cow forage from the stratosphere right. or if we don't go all the way to electric cars, that is what we need to be combating. And I think that if the GOP would paint these positions as too extreme and take a more narrowed down version of, okay, maybe we're not going to die in five years, but it'd be really nice if the national park is cleaned up a bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like we just take those practical solutions and paint that as like, we're not anti-environment. We just don't want to use every bit of taxpayer funds that we have and raise our taxes by 15% in order to go to gas power car, in order to go away from gas power cars. Be practical about the environment. It's pretty easy. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that message sells. Um, one thing, and I'll throw it over to Cynthia, is uh, I remember my dad always telling me, and we live in southwestern, southwestern Pennsylvania, which is all like mill towns and, you know, small different towns that were basically all steel workers and factory workers for a long time. Um, my dad always told me, you know, these rednecks that go to the city and go see Luke Bryan aren't the same rednecks that like, you know, are in my family that own a campground where they'll walk a quarter mile to go put out a cigarette butt in a fire rather than just flick it on the ground. Like that's, <laughs> that, that would be your average, you know, Republican voter in all honesty. They're not going to sit there and, you know, litter and make the, uh, you know, the spaces like that I see the parks that I used to go run in or go take my dogs to, they don't want to see those places ruined. So like, I think it's a very, very sellable thing to a younger base. And that's really what the Republican need or the Republican party needs to kind of take over the country again is start winning over more younger voters, because that's like a whole untapped base that just doesn't really get activated because they feel like they're not being represented anymore. Because you look at all our elites, they're all old and crumbling. Uh, Cynthia, go ahead. Yeah, and to kind of piggyback off of that point, um, listen, I get it. If you look at the statistics, like young people don't vote, it's typically people that are older and a certain race demographic, I get it. My my pitch is this, though. Who's going to be the future of the country? Who's going to be the next exactly. end years? Who's going to be the next president of the United States someday? Who's going to be the next business owner? Who is going to be the next person like changing the world? It is the young voters. Um, I and to also again preface it, the the idea of targeting micro targeting like the younger base, as particularly in the Republican Party, long term. So I, for one, am not someone that's naive. I don't expect you know significant changes like from 2020 to 2024. If you do, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. But you know, if you ask me, like, oh, what can Republicans have done to engage the youth? Well, you should have started yesterday. 
Um, and so I think, you know, some, you know, in particular, like, again, I am in a blue state, I'm in a blue county. So I recognize that like my opinions in regards to what I think is important to the youth, I think can very differ from your, your, you both, because you, we both live in different parts of the country. But I will say, I think in general, like the youth, they care about very basic things. Like the biggest thing that I harp on is the ability to buy your first home, like the ability to own the opportunity to have generational wealth. Like that's part of the American dream. You know, the ability to know that you have a family and you're married and knowing that you have something that's your that is your own. That's a beautiful thing. And you know, the idea of purchasing that for yourself and then being able to eventually expand your real estate portfolio, that seems like a pipe dream for a lot of young people and something that people don't think can happen. I mean, on the news, I hear about all these statistics all, all the time, how it's, it can take like the average income. It could take several decades for the average person in San Diego to buy like a, like a median size, like home. And that's really alarming. And for the average person, especially if you're not political, that can feel very daunting. That's a real thing. And I think the Republican party can be do, can do better about being empathetic. You know, I get it. Like, you know, the conservative side of me, that's like, you know, you know, work hard and do all this. But the reality is we don't make we don't make things easier for people to accomplish right. that. Like, for example, like I know, like the red pill and like the trad wife movement. I mean, they talk about the ability of like homeschooling and doing all this. It's like, oh, yeah, like I'm obviously supportive of that. I'm for it. But we also failed to recognize and provide additional context, which was like, well, back then, you know, families like your mom, like lived down the street and like, so families that like, and you, it took a village, to, like raise a family. And nowadays it's a little bit more common to have families live in different States. There's nothing wrong with that at all, by the way, but it's a little bit more common. And so it makes things a little bit harder. So, you know, I think the Republican party, they lack empathy for young voters. They don't provide solutions. And I think that they fail to recognize that there is this huge generational gap. Like again, I touched upon it earlier. They don't provide, you know, equitable solutions for environmental issues. Um, out of touch in regards to Ukraine and like being anti-war, less interventionist. Um, so that that's my opinion in regards to the Republican Party and how they can be more in touch with the young voters and the future of the party. Yeah, I agree completely because I think um, once again, it's a whole untapped base that really needs to kind of hear a message of like, hey, we hear your concerns and we are here for you. Right. And because the, the Democrats aren't, you know, they, they offer an appealing message. But the problem is that obviously their solutions don't work at all in the real world, as we've seen for the last, you know, however many years now. So I guess uh, while we got about 10 minutes left, I wanted to touch on a little bit of the Trump stuff because uh, it's been very, very interesting. Um, now, my opinion is, and you guys could give yours as well, is that I'm still skeptical of the idea that Trump will beat Biden in 2024. Um, I'm of the mind that I think for independence, he's still pretty unlikable and that's going to cost him. Um, I think he's also been smart in regards to abortion and hasn't made a very, very strong stance on this. He's always been kind of a little bit wishwashy on it, but um, that's kind of worked to his favor because, you know, you see the hard pro-lifers, which I am. And I know Cynthia is as well. And I'm guessing Cody is as well. Um, but like, that's not a sellable position to most people because, you know, this has been such a hot button topic that, you know, you're the Democrats have really sold it as like this is bodily autonomy, which you have to imagine in the minds of women when 
they've heard that and they may not be that politically involved. They may think their rights are being taken away. So therefore, you know, they're, they, they feel like they have to vote blue because it's the only way to maintain their quote unquote bodily autonomy. Um, the Tucker interview was entertaining. I was surprised that he said Epstein did kill himself. That was, uh, <laughs> I was like, hey, come on, man. Like, I, I think we all know what's going on there, but we obviously don't have to touch on that too much. But, um, you know, in his other sit downs, like that sit down with CNN, I think everybody remembers that sold him more than it hurt him. And I think CNN's deal was like, hey, we're going to we're going to bring Trump down. Um, but obviously that didn't work at all. So uh, kind of thoughts on the uh, everything going on with Trump right now. Uh, kind of you good, go first. You know, I, I think I, I admire the idea that, I, that a lot of people think Trump is unelectable in 2024 because of his unappealable nature with, with the 2024 independence. But just a couple things, just in looking over analytics, um, he leads by, he leads uh, or is closer to his opponent in a general election more than any time he's been in seven years. He is now okay. in the RCP average, he is down 0.9 points, while DeSantis is down 1.9, Haley is down six, Ramaswamy is down eight. He is arguably the most electable candidate there is in the GOP field by pure analytic standards. He is viewed his prosecution while there's been some sort of outlier poll saying independents don't believe it or whatever. I mean, if you ask the modern American voter, if this is, if, if you, if you all ask your democratic friends or your independent friends, if they think that Trump is really guilty of something or think this is a politicized weaponization of the federal government, I think I know what their answer is going to be if they, if they look true in their hearts. And I think that that is going to play a big part into the 2024. I mean, I, I think if you look at 2015, 2016, 2020, uh, 2021, 2020 Trump now, and then 2024, I think he's he is more like than he has ever been in his entire political career, ironically enough. If he can make it to the ballot in, in, in the general election as Tucker Carlson asked if he's going to be killed yet or not, if he makes it to the general election ballot, I think he has a good of a chance as, as any uh, time he has ever ran for political office. And I think that there is this rejection of I think there's a rejection of an of an incumbent that is incompetent. If this stuff comes with the Biden administration, he was you know if he was using things during the Obama administration for his own personal business dealings. If the House does have the gauntlet to actually impeach him, even if it, he does get convicted in the House, and as Matt Gates has said, that is not the goal. It is to hold him accountable in the House of Representatives to impeach him. Um, if that happens, if the economy continues to head into a recession, if interest rates continue to go up, and if Trump continues to be the headline on every mainstream news channel, because let's not forget the reason that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election is because of things like mail in universal mail in ballots because of COVID-19 and because COVID-19 was in the headlines of Donald Trump wasn't like that. That is the absolute truth. Like the reason that Donald Trump won in 2015 was because of name recognition, because they knew that they were taking a man who had been in the spotlight for 50 to 60 years and had never really been in any sorts of trouble, but as soon as he decides to run as a Republican, he's all, all of a sudden the most hated man in American history. So if Trump is continuing to dominate the headlines, he is dominating the GOP so much that he doesn't even have had to attend the debate to win it, as Cynthia said earlier. He still won the debate with actually attending it. 
and he is continuing to hold a 30 to 40 to 50 point lead in, on, in, the, in the GOP primary and beating Biden currently in general election polls when he never did before. Biden was predicted to win by seven points in 2020 and won by three or four. And Donald Trump is currently polling only 0.9 points behind him in in August of 2023. Mm-hmm. I think Trump has a very much a very a, an electability argument going into 2024, arguably more at this point than any time during his time as a political candidate. And I really think that these indictments are just fueling the fire more because I think they're all nonsense. I think we, we can all three agree there are they are nonsense. If the Georgia indictment case was looked at as the strongest case against Donald Trump, then he's going to be on the ballot in 2024. And I think he may be likely to win the presidency for a second time. Yeah. Now, before I throw it over to Cynthia, um, I, I almost feel like they're almost doing the same strategy that they did in 2016 with uh, Hillary Clinton, where they're throwing whatever at the wall and really promoting him because they think that he's the most beatable because they said his bail $200,000. Like we all know that Trump's like that, that's pocket change for him. So I'm still of the mind that like, I think a lot of this shit is just kayfabe. They're just trying to get, you know, everybody riled up and they really don't want to do away with Trump because he's good for, he's good for business. And I think anybody looking at the situation from the outside, looking in, I think that's it. I really don't think they're going to go after him and, if they really wanted rid of him, they would take him through a you know convertible car ride through Dallas. <laughs> that's that's exactly what would happen if they really wanted rid of him. But I think that the Democrats realize like we need him so that way we can say, hey, look, we're not that guy, so you should vote for us. <laughs> and that's right. really all they have. Um, so Cynthia, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's this saying in uh, strategic communications that any press is any even bad press is good press because people are talking about you. Exactly. Um, I mean, I've done multiple um, local and media um, interviews in regards to what's been going. Oh, thank you. Of course. Um, In regards to what's going on with the Trump saga. And, um, you know, my message has always been this. I don't think that the average American cares about this. I think that the average American is turned off first and foremost. And the Republican Party does not do well this because we contribute to this toxic culture. But I don't think the average American cares about the shenanigans that happen in Washington, D.C. I think that they're fed up with all of the back and forth, the the divisiveness and whatnot. And I think that the media, the Democrats or whoever you want to point the job of doing that, the goal is to demonize Donald Trump and to make him unpopular and make him seem like this monster. Well, they're failing at that, I think the exact opposite. I think that a lot of Republicans are fed up. I was also, I would even argue people in the middle who aren't into politics, um, even if they don't like Trump, I think that they're turned off by the fact that this is going on, that the government is, is, you know, doing this to a former president. Um, I, I, I personally think that Donald Trump and I, and to be honest, I think even if it wasn't Donald Trump, I think any Republican has a good chance to beat Joe Biden in 2024, because I think that the sentiment of what's going on with the country is just very different. I, I definitely agree. I think 2020, it was a very rough time for everyone. Um, but I do think four years have passed. A lot has happened for better or for worse. And I think people are fed up and they want to change and they want to see a Republican lead the White House. So. 
Beautiful. Well, I think that's a pretty damn good place to uh, wrap it up. Um, I really, really enjoyed this show. So I think we will definitely have to do this again. Um, I, I really enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously I talk about mostly libertarian stuff and then, you know, some intersexual dynamics, some other stuff. But like this is a really, really cool show. And, uh, you know, obviously you two are very, very welcome guests. So, uh, Katie, go ahead, plug all your stuff and uh, we'll close her out. Yeah. Y'all can follow me at uh, at Katie. I think it's down here maybe at yeah. Katie Cody TN on Twitter. Um, I tell everybody for my articles, you can go to muckrack.com and find my article archive. I think there's about 88 to 89 articles that I've written over the last three years. All there archived. You can click on any link. You can add me at Kenny Cody on Facebook and find me on Instagram as well. Uh, but muckrack is where most of my articles are at. Uh, follow the Cock County GOP where I am the chairman of my county party here in East Tennessee on Twitter and uh, keep on keeping up with uh, all that I'm doing on Twitter. Twitter mostly. Beautiful. Cynthia. You can find me on all the social media. I'm very active on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, things of that nature. So spell my name C-Y-N-T-H-I-A. Last name is Kawi, K-A-U-I. I am the president chairwoman of San Diego Young Republicans. Very honored and blessed to steward that organization and uh, looking forward to everything that's to come. I had a great time with you both and happy to do this again um, in the next you know, few months because I know that it's this election year is going to be very exciting. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to set one up for uh, the uh, post-debate in uh, September there. So, um, yeah, if you guys don't got anything else, we'll close her out. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys.